Hey, what's up, everybody? Hope you're doing great. On today's episode of The Press, we've got Jordan Kahn. Thanks for listening and subscribing. I've had a few people of late leave ratings and reviews, which is very kind. If you haven't and get a chance to do so in the iTunes market, that would be awesome. would really, really appreciate that. Jordan has been one of my closest friends since high school, and he was really instrumental in uh, getting me to think about pursuing a career in sports journalism. At that point, you know, in high school, I hadn't really thought that far in advance. And he had. He kind of had this vision for himself, and it motivated me to kind of think along the same lines. Um, and went on to study journalism at Towson, went the TV route. He went to Lee University, carved out a career for himself as a writer. Now he features writer for The Ringer. He just had a story posted at theringer.com. Go and check it out. Can't recommend it enough. Uh, powerful stuff. Sadly, it's a story that's all too uh, relevant these days. I won't go into great detail about it because I'll never do it justice. But it's about a woman by the name of Brenda Tracy who was raped by a group of college football players in 1998. Now she does work with the NCAA. She's gotten laws changed in her home state of Oregon. And she travels around uh, visiting college football programs and and talking to athletes, telling them her story just in, in raw detail and explaining their role in preventing sexual violence. Um, It's amazing work that she does, and incredible given what she's experienced and what she puts herself through again and again, um, as the story says, reopening these wounds uh, for the betterment of our society and uh, to deliver the message to, um, in particular, young men about, again, the role they can play in preventing this sort of thing. Uh, she's an amazing, inspirational woman. Um, it was great reading her story and, uh, reading about the work that she's doing now. And, uh, Jordan did a great job with it as well. We spoke before the story came out, so didn't get a chance to really get into that, but discussed his role at the ringer. Uh, one story he did a couple months ago that kind of fascinated me, uh, his process, for lack of a better word, as a writer, the challenges he faces and uh, the stories that really the types of stories that really get him excited and just kind of talked about his path as a writer. You know, it's hard carving out a career for yourself these days in journalism and as a writer. And he's done so. And uh, so fun kind of picking his brain. And, and, you know, when when you have these shared experiences with people in college and coming up through the ranks you have a group of people that you're really proud of and you're really excited for their success. And it's fun to, to see their careers take off. And, and Jordan is without a doubt, one of those people for me. And so this was fun. We've been talking about doing this for a while and I'm glad we finally made it happen. So let's get into it. Episode 18 of the press with Jordan Kahn. You and I spoke about this a couple of days ago, how you uh, seem to have, uh, you seem to be drawn to pretty heavy topics, and this would certainly be one of them. Uh, but I, I would imagine when you're telling a story like this, you know, not, not to discount any other pieces that you write that might not uh, have the same weight, but a certain level of importance or satisfaction, you know, telling a story that that's so vitally important and that connect that can connect with so many different 
people and, and kind of speak to or shed light to a, a serious issue going on in our country right now? I, you know, I try not to think too much about how important uh, a story is or isn't, um, just because I, I think that's, uh, I can kind of get in my own way if I, if I give too much thought to that. Um, although I, I would certainly like to think that uh, some of the stories I do are important, but w- what I try to think about is just doing justice to um, doing justice to the material, which is doing justice to someone's story. Um, so in this case, it's, it's doing justice to, to Brenda. And, and that means telling her story with, uh, with empathy and compassion and um, also with uh, you know, fairness and, and telling it, telling it truthfully, telling it with complexity. Um, and uh, so that's kind of, usually how how I try to how do I, I try to approach it I, I'm certainly uh, I certainly tend to be drawn to um, stories that involve some degree of human suffering or pain um, for, for many many reasons uh, I, I'm, I'm drawn to um, you know stories where I, I can have the chance to, to sit with someone and um, and listen to them as they kind of open up their wounds and, and, and talk through um, some of the most difficult aspects of their lives. Um, but I try not to think too much about like the impact that a story might have. I, I, I try to uh, just imagine it as, as doing justice to the person or the people that, um, that I'm writing about. How would you describe your role at The Ringer as a, as a features writer and just kind of, uh, you know, the, the wheels turning behind the process, how it works for you and just kind of gathering stories, coming up with ideas, how much of it is stuff that you come up with as opposed to stories that are kind of brought to your attention by editors or what have you? So I am kind of a general interest features writer for The Ringer. And The Ringer, for anyone who doesn't know, is a, a site that was um, started last year by uh, by Bill Simmons. Um, and we cover sports, culture, tech, uh, a little bit of national affairs. And my job from the beginning has been just to, to find and tell these kinds of stories, um, kind of often big meaty stories, um, you know, stories that, uh, you know, stories that, at some um, you know, issues of, of, of complexity, um, stories that are often hopefully deeply human. Um, and, and those stories can kind of run the gamut. Uh, they can be everything from, you know, at times just a, a quick profile of, of an athlete. Like I, I just, uh, did a, a feature on the boxer Triple G, Gennady Golovkin, um, where, you know, you just, Go to go to Vegas, talk to him for a bit, talk to people around him for a bit, describe some scene, um, setting up his his fight with with Canelo Alvarez uh, a few weeks back. Um, but then at times it's something like going you know during the presidential campaign, I, I went to a few Donald Trump rallies, um, or it's something like this Brenda Tracy story that I've been working on for months, or like a uh, I did a feature on. Um, a few survivors of the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando that uh, it took several months as well. Um, so it's, I, I kind of 
a lot of stories that I do have some kind of sports focus, but many of them do not. Um, that is what makes the job so uh, so rewarding to me is the fact that it's always something new. Um, I'm, I'm always uh, kind of diving completely into uh, into a story for a period of time and, and immersing myself in a world, immersing myself in um, the lives of the people that I'm writing about. And then I finish and I, I move on to the next one. Hmm. And, uh, and in terms of kind of the ways that, that stories come about, uh, it's really a mix. Um, I did this, this particular story is one that I, uh, the, the Brenda Tracy story is one that I, you know, wanted to do myself. I, I was looking for a way to write about Baylor and the more I read about Baylor, the more Brenda's name kept popping up. And, uh, I started to think that, you know, she was a remarkable figure who, uh, whose story was really relevant to this particular moment in time. Um, but then there are times when an editor comes to me, uh, and often those work out every bit as well, if not better. The, the Trump story was one that came from an editor or, uh, last year I did a story about Justin Blackman, the, the former Oklahoma state star wide receiver, Bolitnikoff winner, uh, really high NFL draft pick who washed out of the league and ended up, uh, you know, had a number of DUIs, um, clearly had significant substance abuse problems and ended up back in his tiny hometown of Ardmore, Oklahoma, uh, kind of trying to figure out what to do with his life and, and essentially kind of having fallen off the map in terms of, uh, anyone in the football world. That's another story that came from, that came from editors. So, um, it's a bit of a mix. It's always, always something new, which is really, really exciting to me. What what's your favorite type of just kind of writing experience? Because I mean, you you list so many. I mean, last night I was I I I, uh, I read your piece about the Falcons, which obviously came from personal experience. Probably didn't take uh, a whole lot of time. Just kind of uh, in the tre- in, in the trenches <laughs> with them, into tapping into your own pain, and uh, you know you used uh, day one of training camp as kind of to, to set the stage, so to speak. Um, but you, you know, you didn't necessarily need that to get a sense of what the story was all about. And then like the snake handler story, uh, which did take some immersing and, uh, you probably weren't so, uh, informed on, on the culture and the details of that as you were the, the Falcons. I mean, you, there, if you look at your list of stories, like there's a different process for every single one of them. What what are you what do you tend to kind of gravitate to? What gets you most excited? What do you most enjoy? I would say as a writer, what I you know, when it comes to just putting sentences together and paragraphs together, um, what I get most excited by is when I can describe action that I am witnessing firsthand. Um, and yeah, action that feels, that's not just like watching a game and describing what happens in the game, but that feels intimate and, uh, visceral. Um, so like that snake handling story. Um, yeah, this is a story about, uh, a guy named Cody Coots, a pastor in Kentucky, who is a fourth generation snake handling preacher, um, which means it's these small churches where they bring out poisonous snakes during services and they hold them as uh, an act of worship. Um, and 
um, you know, Cody's father had been bitten and killed by a rattlesnake several years before. And, uh, and so it was a story about him kind of continuing his father's legacy. And that's a story where, you know, I, I go to that church and I sit there and I watch this um, worship service that is unlike anything that I'd ever seen in my life or that most people will ever uh, experience in their lives. Um, where, you know, these people are as an act of worship, uh, holding things that could kill them. Um, and any story that allows me something like that, where I, I get to enter into another world, watch it, um, kind of watch action unfold, watch, um, you know, people living, uh, you know, critical moments in their lives. Um, that, that's what I like most on kind of a, a sentence to sentence, uh, paragraph to paragraph level. Um, but then, you know, there's another, almost the opposite of that, but that I, that I also, uh, really enjoy is, um, the kind of reporting that comes from say the, the Pulse nightclub story, um, or parts of this, this Brenda Tracy story where you are sitting down with a person and talking for hours and hours and hours and hours going deep into their own experience and um, kind of trying to recreate uh, some of the most critical, um, critical, impactful, um, often traumatic, uh, sometimes uplifting and, and thrilling moments of their lives. Um, you know, that's uh, very different than watching something unfold firsthand, but can, can at times be every bit as gratifying. Um, just trying to, uh, you know, trying to capture those, those details, trying to capture the kind of sensory experience of, of going through whatever this person has been through, um, trying to understand what they were feeling in a given moment, what they were thinking in a given moment, and then translate that onto the page is, uh, you know, that, that, that's something else that's really, really fun to me. I, I would say that what is most difficult, things like showing up at the first day of Falcons training camp, and trying to come up with something interesting, um, <laughs> you know, trying to be one of the pack of reporters yeah. standing around uh, a bunch of players who are kind of giving you cliche answers and, um, you know, trying to find a way to make that feel, uh, make that material feel fresh and, and relevant and different from everything else that's out there. Uh that's most challenging, but you know, those pieces have, have a place too. And, and, uh, they can be their own kind of challenge and often find an audience. And, uh, but, um, you, you feel like you have a lot less to work with in, in those settings for sure. When you're in that church and there's what, like 10 to 15 people there in the congregation, usually, I mean, it's small. Uh, yeah. what, uh, what I mean, I just I can't. I was watching. I mean, you guys embedded a couple of YouTube clips within that story, and just watching yeah. those clips, I had anxiety. Like you feel like a nervousness in the pit of your stomach. I mean, I'm guessing. I, I'm just envisioning you sitting in the back row of this tiny church, kind of like scribbling into a notebook or typing onto your phone. But at the same time, there's got to be like some level of terror or anxiety. I, I would think just being there as an observer of something that you've never seen before have certainly heard of you know the danger of it uh has to be uh equal parts exhilarating terrifying nerve-wracking 
Yeah, I mean, it's certainly like you're on on high alert. Um, and and one of the days that I was there, someone drank too much. In addition to handling snakes, they also drink poison, strychnine. Um, and someone drank too much and ended up uh, collapsing several hours later and, and had to go to the hospital. And there was a real concern that he might die. Um, and uh, yeah, it's scary. It's scary. I mean, I, I remember the moment hearing that uh, this guy had, had collapsed and um, you know, realizing, oh, wow, like this is not uh, this is not just some like, uh, you know, cultural novelty or, or, or just some, um, you know, something to come in and kind of pass through and, and take a look at because it's, it's, uh, you know, kind of strange or, or anything like that. This is, um, a, something that is vital to these people's lives that, that they believe in deeply and that, that gives, um, you know, deep, deep meaning to their lives so much so that B, it could actually kill them. And, and you're actually seeing that play out and seeing the response to that. And um, it's, uh, it, it's surreal. It, it's, it's surreal to kind of uh, enter, into, enter into those moments for a bit. Um, and so I, I don't know. I, I, I will say that I usually... Um, I'm in kind of full-on reporter mode most of that most of those times, and uh, am am trying very hard to just keep taking notes, keep like remember my place. Um, but it does. It, there are moments when it gets difficult, and that was one of them. How are you received in a situation like that? That is again such a small, tight-knit, very specific community. You're a member of the media, and nowadays members of the media aren't always, uh, you know, looked upon kindly. And you know, you're an outsider. I'm sure your southern roots didn't hurt. I mean, if if it were me, they'd they'd be able to smell the Yankee on me from two counties away. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I know that. From, yeah, I could slip into the draw a little bit. I, I was gonna yeah. say, for my two and a half years in Macon, which I love, and people there were wonderful to me. But until the end, I was you know given flack for being a Yankee, and I and I love them for it um but i i would think that that's a uh, a tricky set of circumstances to enter into and i mean you had multiple people in the story saying you know they, they think we're a bunch of dumb hill uh dumb hillbillies um so they know the outside yeah. perception yeah. they know they there's some of them probably think this guy's just gonna you know write a story about how we're a bunch of weirdos uh, how were you received did they treat you in any sort of way were they open to it yeah I, that's the thing i'm always curious about with stories like that yeah, I, I would say it varied. Um, you know, the first thing I did for that story is I met with the pastor and we talked for hours in his home. Um, and he you know, told me a lot about his life, really opened up to me, um, including a lot that ultimately uh, didn't make it into the story. Um, and, you know, once I kind of developed that, that relationship with him, um, I was able to uh, it, it made the transition into the church a little bit easier. But, you know, one thing I'll say is I actually, I like going places where I stand out. Um, I like going places where I look like I don't belong. Um, because then people kind of immediately know that, that you're there to do a job and they're often curious. Uh, they wonder what brings you there. Um, you know, they wonder what your approach is. Um, and, 
and often they're they're eager to talk to you. People like telling their stories. Um, but that's uh, you know that that was a setting where it was clear that um, you know I was not from the the uh, typical community that makes up that church, and um, that made people in some ways more eager to talk to me. Um, and uh, and you know there there are other settings that are similar. A lot, a lot of international reporting um, that you'll have experiences that are similar. And uh, I don't know. I, I find that like. Um, making it clear that you're a journalist there uh, to do a job often often makes people even more eager to come up to you and talk to you rather than kind of waiting for you to, to come and talk to them. What's the hardest part? Um, is is it the beginning? Uh, any any writing experience I've had, the, the the most challenging part for me is figuring out how to launch into it. Yeah, I, I that's that's how I am. I am too. Because uh, while the ending to me is the most important, um, you know, the lead is is often very high up there, and for the lead, you're staring at a blank page, and <laughs> you have to put words on it. And it's something about like every word you write makes the next word a little easier. Uh-huh. Um, and so when you get to the end, as vital as I see the ending to be. Um, by that point in the process, I have enough kind of momentum. I've typed enough words. I've thought enough about where this is all going that, um, you know, it feels like I have the momentum I need to uh, push through and, and make it what I want it to be. Um, but I will, I will avoid starting stories for days. I will, I will sit <laughs> and stare at my computer and uh, like not know, not know what to do, come up with some other uh, work related activity to um, spend my time on, you know, sending emails, reporting another story, then go back and, and look at the blank screen again and, and go through the whole, whole ordeal again until finally, finally, um, <laughs> something makes sense. And, and usually what makes something make sense is the fact that I have a deadline coming up and uh, you just have to start typing. Um, and uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I, I think that many, if not most writers would, would say that uh, the beginning of something is usually the most difficult, but that, that's certainly how it is for me. I mean, I think it was from the movie Zodiac. There's a great line. Um, I, I am pretty sure it's Robert Downey Jr. says to his editor, it's all written. I just have to type it out which I thought was kind of the perfect line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't seen that movie, but that's there. There are times when it does feel like you're just typing. There are times when it feels like, you know, you saw that moment in while reporting and you're like, this is my lead. And, and you saw that moment and you were like, this is my ending. And, and all of the themes make sense in your head. The, the narrative progression makes sense in your head. And you know that all you have to do is sit down and take what's in your head and put it on the page. Um, that that feels great. Uh, that that is um, that kind of writing experience is is really really fun um, and and can feel really easy. Um, you know, and and often the end product from from that kind of writing experience is uh, a story that you feel very proud of. But I think just as often. Um, the in, an end product that I feel really, really proud of comes from uh, a number of drafts and uh, really debating how to frame something, blowing something up and restructuring it, um, you know, kind of slogging through. Either way, all that matters is the end product. And, um, you know, pieces of writing that, that you feel proud of can come from can come from the slog or they can come from 
uh, a moment that feels inspired. Um, but, you know, all, all that matters is what's there at the end. So we met back junior year of high school. Um, we did. In, in Philadelphia. It's been a, been a good long run. I told you I played basketball and you laughed at me and you knew in your mind. You were so small. You knew in your mind that you wanted to be. Well, I mean, you, you played basketball too. But I feel like very, like, right, you, you knew early on, like, you had this vision of what you wanted to do. Uh, it, for me, it took having my yeah. dreams of playing in the NBA crushed. Uh, when you <laughs> laughed at me at that table in the basement in the cafeteria of Film on Christian oh, Academy. Oh, come on. Um, <laughs> you were 5'3 and 85 pounds. I was, fi- I, was, I, was, I was 5'4 and a quarter when I got my physical before uh, basketball junior year. Okay. I'm, I'm now 6'2 and change. Uh, the next two years were kind of some weird things. You are. Happen- you're, very, you're very dapper. Weird, weird, weird things were happening those the next couple summers. Um <laughs> But you like what sparked that? Because I mean, you, I, when whenever people ask me, like, uh, kind of that same question, I guess, what sparked my interest in doing TV or what have you? I guess kind of get involved in like media or journalism, however you want to frame it. I do often like think back to you and think back, to, like, because you seem to have this vision. You, I. I had exposure to writing, but I never, I don't think ever thought of it as like a career path or something that I would or could ever do. And, you know, I experimented with it in college and that was extremely useful for me in then getting a TV job. And, you know, there are skill sets that I I obviously still tap into to this day. But again, like growing up and being an observer and a consumer of those things, I don't necessarily think... I had put it together in my head that, yeah, like this is something I could do, but you seem to kind of have that already figured out to some degree, like at least later on in high school. Yeah. Um, so I, I decided I wanted to be a writer when I was about 12 years old. Um, and it was, uh, in a science class, um, we watched this movie, Lorenzo's oil, um, that I don't even really remember uh, much of what it was about, but I know there's a kid in it who is sick. Um, and uh, we had to, as like an extra credit project, come up, do some kind of creative project based around that movie. And so I wrote a poem um, from the perspective of this kid uh, kind of pleading with, with his parents and his doctors and, and everyone around him to uh, give him the help he needed to survive. And, um, and I, I, something about that experience, just kind of like trying to enter into another person's world and, um, and, uh, imagine what their experience was like, um, which obviously different from journalism because you're not really imagining, but, um, you know, telling someone else's story, uh, I, I just, loved it and um and you know decided immediately like this is what i i want to do in some form or fashion writing is the thing that matters most to me and uh you know at the time i i loved sports um i would read slam magazine and uh you know was just uh, obsessed obsessed with it um scoop jackson was my idol uh i and you know i i, I read I read that magazine and I thought, well, 
you know, there's the name of someone at the beginning of all these articles. Someone is getting paid <laughs> to, to write these. Um, I, I want to be that person. Um, and so, you know, I, I started, this was like, you know, when I was 12, this is like late nineties. Um, and, uh, there were these websites that were like, I don't think you could even really call them blogs. They were kind of a precursor to blogs, but these kind of online only outlets where you wrote for free, um, about sports. So um, one of them, one of them was called sportscentral.org, Uh, and I wrote them, sent them an email when I was you know, maybe 13, uh, saying I wanted to write for them. They said, yes. Uh, and so then I started kind of, uh, giving all of my bad sports opinions to, to the internet, uh, as a 13 year old kid. <laughs> little, and, little did you um, know there'd be so many different avenues for people to do that, you know, two decades later. Yeah. yeah. This was, this was the, the pre-take era, um, <laughs> of, of the internet, but I, I was, I was trying hard to, uh, to come up with a few takes. Um, and yeah, I mean, basically it was like, and that, that's really all that it was, was what today, some kid would just get on Twitter and, and yell into the void. Um, that's essentially what I was doing. Like no one was reading these things, but somehow it felt official and it felt, um, it felt important. Uh, and so I poured everything I had into it, uh, and kept doing it kind of off and on through high school. Um, then, uh, you know, knew when I, when I got to college that, that writing was what I wanted to do. Um, started writing for the, the student paper at my, my small, uh, small college, Lee university, um, as a freshman and then kind of got hired by a local paper at, at 19, uh, and have been doing it ever since. You always knew it was features too. Like you weren't, uh, you, you had no interest in writing game recaps. Like that was never <laughs> your thing. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I, that probably took a little bit more time for me to fully figure out. Um, I knew when I read those Scoop Jackson stories and slam, I wanted to do that. Uh, you know, and at now as an adult, my, my tastes um, may have changed a little bit, but as a kid reading Scoop Jackson, uh, his, his, there was just a creativity in his writing that I, I had never encountered in, in any, uh, you know, anywhere else. And, and I, I just loved it. Um, and he was telling full stories and, uh, and I, I just really badly wanted to do that. And then, uh, you know, once I got older, I, you know, I read things like the last shot by Darcy Frey, the, the book that follows the, um, Lincoln high school basketball team in, uh, in, in Coney Island where mm. Stefan Marbury was a freshman there, um, and goes into their lives. Um, and books like Friday Night Lights, and I just thought, this is amazing. This is what I want to do. Um, and then getting into college and discovering writers like Gary Smith from Sports Illustrated, Wright Thompson from ESPN. Um, you know, I just developed more and more of a sense of like, okay, like this is possible. Like this kind of work exists. These are people whose job it is to do it. Uh, I want to be one of those people. 
I am going to try everything I can to make sure that that happens for me. And so you graduate from Lee. I, I, because I also went to a school that isn't one of the you know five that everybody talk about when they talk about journalism. I uh, am always very enthusiastic about people that didn't go to those schools and have had success. So, <laughs> shout out to you and to Lee University. But what was uh, what what were the steps from there? Was it was it straight to Cal? Uh, no. So I I graduated from Lee. I so while I was. In college, again, I'd been working for this small, now defunct paper uh, called the Bradley News Weekly in Bradley County, Tennessee. Um, I, I did that for several years part time. And then uh, that turned into a freelance gig for a uh, bigger daily paper, the Chattanooga Times Free Press, um, in, uh, you know, later in college. And then midway through my senior year, I got hired by the time Street Press full-time. Um, and my job was basically I did page design, which I was absolutely terrible at, uh, <laughs> but I, I would lay out the paper. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I would lay out the, the pages in the, in the paper that's where it, like it was, it was okay if it looked kind of shitty. Um, <laughs> so like the scoreboard page where it's nothing but box scores, that was me every day. Um, other pages like late in the sports section where there's no expectation of any sort of artistic uh, design or uh, designer having any kind of eye for anything. I would do that. Um, and that involved a little bit of copy editing. And then I would kind of beg for opportunities to, go out and cover high school football or volleyball or basketball games. And sometimes they would let me. Uh, And I I did that for about a year and a half um, and really, really questioned what I was doing. Um, Hmm. You know, really, really questioned. Like I couldn't, you know, I was at this paper and could not get more than like just getting to cover a high school game every couple of weeks or so. Like yeah. I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't break into the stable of reporters whose job it was to cover high school games every day, much less the reporters who were covering colleges or, or professional sports. Um, you know, and there were, I was about 22, but there were uh, others my age or a little bit older who were already covering beats like university of Tennessee football. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I started to think, you know, maybe I don't really have a future in this. Um, but I still really wanted to write features and thought that I maybe had the talent to do it. Um, and so I applied to uh, journalism master's programs, which is often, often ill-advised and which I, I still don't kind of, I definitely don't recommend to everyone. Um but that felt to me like a chance to uh, learn more, be around talented people, and take a shot at doing the kind of long-form storytelling that I wanted to do, and maybe kind of jump a few rungs up the professional ladder. Uh, and so I, I ended up going to, to Cal, UC Berkeley, um, and, and doing their master's program, and uh, it was an amazing experience. I mean, it gave me the chance to, to try this stuff. Uh, I, I got to embed with a, a high school soccer team in the mission district in San Francisco, um, you know, made up of, uh, all 
uh, you know, the team was almost entirely Latino, many of them undocumented, uh, undocumented immigrants or, or children of uh, certainly all children of immigrants. Um, and uh, I got to go to India to write about one of the greatest female boxers in the world who, who lived there. I got to go to Israel where Jeremy Tyler, uh, this kid who had dropped out of high school to play professional basketball um, at at 18 and, and eventually had a relatively short stint in the NBA. Um, I got to go to Israel to, to do a story on him. Um, you know, just got, got the chance to take a shot at those kinds of, those kinds of stories. And, uh, you know, doing some of that work led to an internship at Sports Illustrated, um, which kind of helped me, you know, jump those rungs that, that I wanted to jump um, and, and get to a place where I could start getting published by, uh, you know, the places that I always dreamed of writing for. And th- then how long was it after you finished up the master's program before ESPN and Grantland come together? So I graduated from Cal in 2010 and I became, uh, a freelance writer. Um, which means that I made very, very little money <laughs> and, uh, my wife, Beth, who, you know, well, um, was during this time, superhuman, um, <laughs> and that she was enrolled in a PhD program. And at the same time as she was enrolled in her PhD program, she was working essentially full time at a, um, in a customer service job, uh, working to kind of support my deadbeat ass while I, uh, <laughs> made $14,000 a year freelancing. Um, and, uh, that was, you know, this, this, I don't know. People talk a lot about just how difficult it is to make it in, in journalism. Um, and there's a, a lot of talk about it being, a field where uh if you come from a a privileged background you you have a a serious leg up um and i certainly come from a privileged background but but financially uh the thing that was able that gave me what i needed to um kind of get the chances that i needed to, to do this work was was that was my my wife just somehow managing to uh for first both choosing to and then uh <laughs> don't discount that first choosing part to and then surviving uh this daily grind that was uh just astonishing um and uh you know by her kind of making enough money for us to get by i mean we were you know poor uh but her making enough money for us to get by i was able to uh freelance and do things like um, write, you know, write stories here and there that, that were for nothing more than to make money while also pursuing things like uh, features for Sports Illustrated's website where I would put weeks into a story and get a few hundred bucks. Hmm. Um, you know, stories that did very little for me financially, but did a lot for me in terms of getting kind of recognized within the business and uh, getting a chance to show what I could do. And, uh, and so I, I ended up, I freelanced for three years. The first year, again, I made $14,000. Hmm. Um, second year it was 
at least double that. And by the third year I was making, uh, an actual living. Um, and then, and, and during that time was, was freelancing for, uh, for sports illustrated online, but also in the magazine freelancing for Grantland after it launched in 2011, freelancing for ESP in the magazine and kind of just hoping that one of those three places would hire me. <laughs> and, uh, and then finally in, in May of 2013, Grantland did. I remember talking to you, like, I, I believe it was when you were interviewing and, uh, just hoping that that would actually pan out and then hearing about the news that, that you were on staff with ESPN and Grantland. I mean, that had to be an amazing feeling. I mean, given just anytime you have one of those big career moments, it's huge, but you know, when you're kind of slugging away at a local newspaper, doing what you don't want to do and then having to do the freelance thing and wondering if it's ever going to work out and, and justifiably so like, uh, to, to have that phone call where you're like, yeah, we want you full time had to have been mind blowing. Yeah, it was, um, it was unreal. Uh, I, cause I, I thought about quitting so many times. I mean, um, not just back when I had been working in that newspaper, but during the time that I was freelancing, um, you know, I thought about quitting all the time. Uh, and then, you know, there was one day I was in Alabama visiting my in-laws and, uh, you know, I, I got an email, um, from, from Bill Simmons with, uh, Dan Fearman, who is the, um, number two editor at Grantland and, and Rafe Bartholomew, who is uh, my editor there, um, both copied on it that, you know, said, we want to hire you. Um, and I just, you know, it, it seriously kind of took my breath away. Um, like that, I, I'd known that that was a possibility for a while, I hoped that it would happen for a while. I'd been freelancing for them for a while. Um, but when, when it finally happened, it just felt like, you know, in, in this, in this business, you know, that nothing is, uh, nothing is guaranteed for, for long at, at all. You know, you learn never to plan too far into the future. And I, I'm still to this day, always, um, imagining a career path that exists outside of journalism. But I knew then in that moment, you know, it, at least like I, I finally, I did it. Like I, I did the thing that I have been working toward. Um, and for at least some period of time, I'm going to make my living writing feature stories. Uh, I, I didn't know how long it would be, um, but I knew they wanted me to hire, they wanted to hire me to write features. And that was just, uh, you know, felt like the culmination of, of everything I'd been, I'd been working towards since I was a, a kid. You know, Grantland represents kind of this uh, uh, almost tragic figure in the current like sports media uh, universe because it was this cool innovative website you guys turned out uh great content on all i mean you mentioned kind of like with ringer the, on a similar vein kind of pop culture i mean you guys touch on so many different stuff outside of sports uh and then espn makes a decision it makes uh, what two years ago now um just about yeah yeah october 2015 uh, how appreciative were you just to as heartbreaking as that was to be part of that team that was so highly thought of and has continued over to some extent yeah. now with a ringer. Yeah. It's, it, it's tough to, to think back on that. I mean, it was, 
it was devastating when the site was shut down. I mean, it was something that was in many ways expected. Um, you know, they'd announced that they weren't uh, rehiring or uh, resigning um, Bill Simmons uh, months before, and we'd been we'd had an interim editor in chief, um, and you know, the site had changed, uh, but. You know, we still we're trying to do really good work. Um, we're still trying to to do stories that that mattered and that, that we believed in and, and felt like we were. Um, you know, some of uh, some of my favorite stories I wrote for the site came um, came near the end. Um, and uh, and then all of a sudden we just get. You know, we're told we all need to be on a conference call and they tell us it's over and, uh, and, and that's it. And the moment we hang up, uh, everyone on Twitter knows and everyone's mm. talking about it. And this like kind of collective grief from the outside world is, is starting to uh, come together. And it, it was both like, it was just so strange because we were, so sad about losing the site that we had loved about losing um you know people losing jobs at that point i still had six months on my contract with espn so had some security but uh you know my future was very much up in up in the air um and so you're dealing with all of that and then at the same time you're looking around and, and getting just unending floods of uh support and love from all over the internet uh, of uh, so many people saying what the site meant to them. Um, so many people saying, uh, you know, things that they felt the site represented uh, in, a, in a broader sense, you know, in, in this little pocket of culture that we occupied. Um, and it, it felt pretty quickly like, you know, we'd been a part of something special. Um, we'd been a part of something that for a certain demographic, um, you know, people of a certain age with certain interests, something that they were going to remember and talk about fondly uh, years, years from now. Um, and that, that felt really, really gratifying just to, to know what the site meant to so many people and to read all of the remembrances. Um, but it was, you know, still nonetheless devastating because we all wanted to keep it going. We wanted it to uh, continue to occupy its place and continue to put out work that mattered. Satisfying to still have that to, to uh, a, a degree with the ringer with so many people migrating, of course, you know, at the top with Simmons and then on down so many writers and editors to, to be able to kind of carry on, on that experience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think The Ringer has a, a lot of Greenland's DNA, certainly a lot of um, people who, who worked at Greenland like me are, are here at The Ringer. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it feels like we're really kind of connecting to an audience and, and really finding our footing and um, and doing work that's, that's resonating. Um, I think... Uh, you know the, the the comparisons are the, the sites certainly are are different in in many ways, um, and uh, and I, I think in many ways that that's a good thing. Uh, there, there are things about the Ringer that um, 
like I, I've done several stories for the ringer that I just could not have done at Grandland. Um, I could not have covered Donald Trump rallies at Grandland. I could not have written the story of, uh, Riyadh al-Qasim, a Syrian American Muslim man, um, in the aftermath of Trump's election for, for Grandland. Um, the Pulse nightclub shooting story. I maybe could have called that a sports story because uh, one of the, the victims was a high school basketball star, but maybe could not have written that for Grantland. Um, and so the, the broadening of the ringers uh, purview, um, the, the fact that they take kind of creative people and, and allow them to uh, kind of dabble in a number of different things has made it, uh, just a, a really, really exciting and fun place to work. Well, it's been great seeing it come together and seeing you guys kind of hit your stride and and find your role. I mean, I think it's super important. You guys obviously have a great stable of writers and personalities and and so on and so forth. And um, so it's it's been good to see that again, kind of come of come into its own after after what happened to Grantland. Um, there are like a million things that I'd written down that I wanted to get to. Um, including uh, the debut album of Clips, Lord Will, and that we talked about uh, oh, man. breaking down on the podcast. We don't have time to... for so much. Uh, so that, you we'll, should just play grinding. We'll, we'll save that for the uh, next episode. I, ha- I have this memory of me like banging the beat of grinding onto a desk. I want to say in Miss Rudolph's class, and Janito, 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 looking at me and just being like, "Okay, Darnay, that's enough. We get it." Um, <laughs> but I wanted, to, I wanted to touch on the book before we go. What can you tell us about it? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I am uh, working on a book, uh, my first, which is a daunting uh, but exciting um, thing to be taking on um it is tentatively titled leaving raqqa to syrian brothers journeys from uh two syrian brothers journeys through america europe and the atlantic states um it's set to be published by ballantyne which is a division of random house it is it is a story about two brothers riyadh and bashar al-qasim um who were born in raqqa syria um the city that kind of became the de facto capital of of the Islamic State in recent years. And Riyadh uh, moved away from Syria to America at at a young age and um, has lived this fascinating life here. Um, And and his brother Bashar uh, remained in Raqqa, became a pillar of the community, and was ultimately driven out as a refugee by ISIS and is now, uh, now living in Germany. And there are two stories kind of, diverge and intersect and and, um, all of these fascinating ways. And they both kind of tried to build homes for themselves, build families for themselves um, in in settings that they never imagined they'd find themselves in. And uh, they both have this this deep love for this city, Raqqa, in in the desert in Syria that has endured so much um, through through its civil war and through the rise of ISIS and now the fall of of ISIS there there in that town. and uh, yeah, it just it's it's a story about about family and about home and uh, about these two men's lives. And uh, I'm I'm really excited to be working on it. That's awesome. Well, I'm, I'm excited for you. I'm excited to uh, eventually read it down the road. Um, you know, maybe yeah. when we get a little bit closer, we we do this again. We discuss that, Lord Will and, and Hot Chicken. 
for part two. Absolutely. I, I can always talk about chicken. <laughs> thanks, man. This is fun. All right. Thanks, Brian. Thank you.